Hello and welcome to the podcast version of Let's Kill Twitter. This is the show that aims to detox your timeline with the art of conversation. Let's Kill Twitter is recorded live and on Zoom and this week's guest was financial writer and comedian Dominic Frisby. At the top of the show, Dominic talked frankly about the pitfalls of using Twitter and also about his new film, Adam Smith, Father of the Fringe. The film explores why the author of The Wealth of Nations has so much to do with the mechanics of the Edinburgh Fringe. As for the tweets themselves, Dominic retained most of the tweets that he'd picked the week before. We actually postponed this show from the 1st of August to the 8th of August because of technical issues. Now, we did experience some tonight, but luckily the audio recording is a little bit more seamless than the visual experience. The tweets Dom chose uh, covered Bitcoin, which is something that Dominic's written a lot about, uh, the restriction of freedoms because of COVID, and also we talked about the police crime sentencing courts bill, and also about climate change. We hope you enjoy the show. Please follow us on Twitter at LKTZoom. Okay, I think we're off. Um, hello, good evening and welcome. It's eight o'clock and you're watching Let's Kill Twitter with me, Julian Hall. This is the show that aims to detox your timeline with the art of conversation. A lofty task, I hear you say, and you're quite right. Fortunately, as you know, I don't have to do that alone. And joining me tonight to trawl through Twitter is financial writer and comedian Dominic Frisby. But before I introduce Dom properly, just a bit of tedious housekeeping. Well, I'll make it as less tedious as possible. Uh, you can watch us live on Facebook, on Twitch, and on uh, YouTube, crucially. Um, obviously, if you're watching us live right now, you will be doing one of those things. So thank you very much. Uh, the record of this will be available on YouTube after the show. So if you know someone who would like to watch this, please do get them to check that out. And crucially, give us a subscribe on YouTube. I live for the subscribes. Equally, we live for the uh, follows on Twitter. Uh, obviously, it makes sense to follow us on Twitter. We're on at uh, where our handle is at LKTZoom, which you will see splashed liberally, liberally yeah. around this screen um, uh, on my uh, uh, on my screen. Hang on a minute. I might have to mute our guest. Sorry, um, <laughs> sorry. He's right. He's so um, it's on my byline and it's on the shared uh, Twitter feed uh, beside me, of course. And scrolling above my head is a lovely ticker that has our handle on. It has our website on. It has Dominic's handle on. The whole caboodle, uh, essentially. Uh, and also, I'm very aware that this show was supposed to reach you on the 1st of August. Uh, it's now the 8th of August, but we got there in the end. We got there in the end. So I'm just happy to be streaming. Uh, now, I want to obviously introduce Dominic properly now. As I say, a financial writer, a comedian, an actor, a voiceover artist, you name it. Uh, I wanted to pick out a few highlights from underneath those uh, uh, those little uh, headings as well. And I, yet again, I'm heckled by Twitch. Oh, the chaos. It's been two weeks, folks. So as a financial writer, apart from uh, being a regular columnist for Money Week, Dominic's also written for The Guardian and The Independent and a number of other magazines and newspapers. Uh, his books include Daylight Robbery, How Tax Shaped Our Past and Will Change Our Future. Uh, I'm particularly fond of that one because it came from Dominic's 2016 Edinburgh show, uh, Let's Talk About Tax, which I PR, so I have to sort of declare that. Um, Bitcoin, The Future of Money was Dominic's second book. I'm going in reverse order here, obviously. Uh, Sir Richard Branson, a big fan, as he exhorted, a great account, read it. 
And Life After the State, uh, whose plaudits came from uh, Al Murray and Steve Baker, amongst others. So that's ranging across the political spectrum to some extent there. And two other things that I wanted to pick out under the sort of financial heading, Dominic, were the uh, global financial crisis documentary for Horsemen that Dominic narrated and uh, co-wrote. And also Debt Bomb, which neatly straddles the sort of comedy and finance line. Uh, that became a viral hit. So check that out. That's still on YouTube. And in terms of comedy, um, well, just recently, many more people have known uh, Dominic through the songs, the comedy songs that he's been releasing, some of which came from his 2019 Edible show, Libertarian Love Songs. Yes, I also PR'd that. It's, it's declaring time. Uh, but also, audience will know Dominic from emceeing uh, Downstairs at the King's Head in London. And also, uh, it says here, London's grooviest new club and sometimes most controversial comedy unleashed. So without too much further ado and tripping over my words any more than I do normally, uh, it's time by the power of Zoom and OBS to unveil to you Dominic Frisbee. Please welcome. Hello. Hi, Julian. How's it going? <laughs> Yeah, it's OK. It's OK. Um, I think I've got the same cold this week that I had last week, but uh, I'm, I'm just so relieved to be live and streaming and and have you here at the same time. And, you know, thanks for giving up your time in the same time slot, essentially. No problem. Um, uh, by the way, Richard Branson said, read it and glimpse into the future or whatever he said about my book. But I still don't think he actually he ever actually read it. <laughs> just told everyone else to <laughs> typical billionaire don't take this don't take the shine off don't take the yeah. shine off um but i mean it's i mean they're, they're great i mean I, I haven't missed out a book have i am i is there another book in no, the no i've only written three yeah okay because uh i mean it was, it was you know it's quite an exciting uh time the the let's talk about tax era i sort of particularly fondly remember that i mean that was a sort of very well received in edinburgh and how soon after the show um did you actually write the book did the book come out well, I, I was planning to knock it out in those three months between September and December, but it ended up taking me three years. Okay, right. Well, it's a bit like it's a long, work. Yeah, long time. That's COVID proportions of time, I think. Yeah, well, it, I can't blame COVID for it, but the uh, the it just the thing about taxes is just a huge subject, and you know, there's never been a civilization without taxation. And as soon as you start attempting to write the history of taxation, you find yourself rewriting the entire history of civilization. And there are so many good stories. And one of the themes of the book is that there's no, there is not a single great event from history that didn't, that behind it didn't have some kind of tax story. And so I was basically going through every great event in history. And, and then the thing about history is it's, it's very sort of, everybody argues about it. It's, it's quite political history in a funny kind of way. Um, so you have to be, you know, the left like to put their slant on it, and the right like to put their slant on it, and and the authoritarian their slant and the libertarian their slant. So I had to be quite careful um, to make sure I got my facts right, and that just just took an endless amount of work. Yeah, no, well, I mean, well worth it in the end for sure. Now, what uh, obviously what we like to do on the show, it's all sort of social media based. Um, I mean, we like to ask the guests what their sort of you know what what the social media you use but also what your impressions are because you know most people do not really enjoy social media but they feel compelled to be on it um i mean that's certainly andrew doyle uh, says that quite a lot and i've just been watching his show uh again on gb news and he there's a sort of section you do his pr 
Uh, I have done Andrew's PR in as well, okay. but you know, you've got this com- niche in unacceptable right wing comics. Yeah, well, that's true. I, I mean, don't even see they... myself as right wing, but everyone else does. Well, I know when they announced the roster for GB News, I was thinking, wow, it's like it's like my uh, televised, <laughs> televised Edinburgh roster, um, or um, I think there was some kind of survey a few months back of uh, you know right wing comedians that could be put on telly or something like that, and it's like, wow, that's my Edinburgh list. But yeah, who who knows? I mean. I mean, what's going to happen in the next few years in Edinburgh in terms of, uh, you know, who wants PR and all the rest of it? I don't know. I mean, it's it's quite weird to be in a situation is, where Edinburgh's going on and we're not there. I think this year is a really good year to do Edinburgh if you're a performer. And most performers haven't been able to get a show together. They haven't been able to do previews. They haven't, they've thought to themselves, what's the point of writing a show if we don't even know if it's going ahead? We've only found out like last week that the rooms are fully opened up. But talking to people who are actually in Edinburgh, there's nothing to see. So if you're an act, there's very little competition. It's one of those years where you'll be able to get an audience really quite easily if you've somehow been able to get your show up there, mostly free fringe shows. Um, but. But I've noticed those a lot of people have got like their show on for three nights or something. They're all doing extra nights and extra shows. There really isn't that much on. So and I think there'll be a real kind of there won't be that many tourists. The audience will be mostly local. So you won't have that thing of, you know, baffled Japanese people looking at your show or something like that. It'll all be, you know, mostly English speaking. And and, um, you know, I just think as a performer, if you can get up there somehow, this will be a really good year to do it. Next year will be really hard because the audience will grow on this year, but there'll be every performer will want to go up next year because they didn't do a show there this year. So this is the year to do and next year's the one to miss. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. The, the fallow year sort of uh, thing. Yeah. Actually, just, just in case anyone thinks you're being uh, a glib about tourists turning up in your show, I need to sort of uh, vouch for how valid that is. I was in one of uh, Olaf falafels shows um and uh, it was down when it oh God, funny was it in the city cafe and then at about halfway through uh, the entire sort of chinese uh, junior olympic gymnastic team turned up at the back you know only in edinburgh let's face it yeah well it is only in edinburgh i mean alec guinness refused to act in the west end anymore because he got he, he he said the audiences aren't um you know, he was he did he hated performing to tourists. I'm not knocking tourists, but comedy is the single hardest thing to understand in any foreign language. I speak five languages, and you know, comedy is really hard to understand in foreign languages. The hardest thing to do, and the most lucrative form of comedy is always visual comedy. Mr. B, you know, Mr. Bean, Benny yeah, Hill, yeah. that kind of stuff. It just you know, was huge worldwide because you don't need to speak a language to understand it. If you want to make a lot of money as a comedian, become a visual comic is my advice. But but the but the reality is because comedy is so hard to understand and, you know, if somebody's from wherever it is and English isn't their first language, they have a completely different frame of reference. You know, it's just it's just much harder as a performer. That's all I meant by that. There was no slight of the Japanese. I'm fully on board with Japanese people coming to Edinburgh because that's what the, the fringe is all about. <laughs> just don't I'm buy sure. tickets for my show. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what's now, I mean, in, so in terms of Twitter, you know, you're a Twitter, so we mentioned that, uh, Andrew there, sort of slightly gone off track, but you're a Twitter user, but how do you actually feel about using Twitter? I mean, do you enjoy it as a, a medium? Um, well, yeah. I use it for several different things, and um, I've got mixed feelings about it. 
um, there's definitely an emotion that comes over you when you start using it, where you get really wound up and you want to start arguing with people. Like I've known Hal Cruttenden since I was seven years old. We were in the same class as each other at school. We got the same grades in our A-levels. We are born on the same day. The, the, <laughs> the first girl I ever got off with was at Hal's house when I was you know, 15 years old or something. I was wondering and, where that story was going, but that's fine. Yeah. And it wasn't how. <laughs> and, 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 you know, we've had this incredibly intertwined life. You know, we got married at the same time. We became comics at the same time, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Hal, Hal's a real lefty. And, I, and I'm just, you know, he wants state this and state that mm. and blah, blah, blah. And I just think the, the state is the cause of all our problems. So we have this sort of ideological difference. But, you know, we had a massive spat on Twitter. I did witness um, that actually about a, about a month ago, yeah. and it was got so out of hand. I actually phoned up Hal, <laughs> just yeah. said, "Look, Hal, it's me here." And then he was just screaming down the phone, "You're a fucking disgrace! You're an absolute fucking disgrace!" And I was like, "Whoa, Hal, it's me." And and you know, we, we kind of kissed and made up. But I remember thinking, "Wow, if Twitter can make you fall out with somebody who you've known since you were seven years old and we're both 51 so that's 44 years of friendship you know it's a pretty powerful yeah enraging it, it, thing yeah no, where i think twitter is is so i don't and it's you know it's really politicized the world i mean we're all politicized anyway at the moment yeah. um and and i i i really wonder if social media is the cause i sometimes think it is but it, it might just be that it's some it's I happen to think it's 30 or 40 years of government where everything just gets brushed under the carpet and nothing gets addressed and properly and just gets delayed into pushed into the future. I, I kind of think that's the cause of all the division. But social media is definitely um, it's still it, to the fire, I think. Yeah, exactly. But where I really like Twitter is it's an amazing source of information. So like, you know, I, I've written a book about Bitcoin. I, I look at stocks and shares. You can get really good you know, what they call FinTwit, financial Twitter, you know, you, the, the advice you could, the, the, the insights you can get off there in real time, uh, you know, it's, you'd be paying thousands of pounds in, in, in newsletters to get that mm. information. So yeah. from that point of view, it's brilliant as a news source. I think it's brilliant because, you know, if, if there's a, whatever it is, a fire in Greece, somebody's on the boat where the fire is and they video the fire in Greece and it's up on Twitter. And, you know, it's ahead of the news. It's, it's, it's faster than yeah. the news. If there's any kind of, you know, stock market crash or something's going on, I'm straight on Twitter because it's just the most, it's most, the most brilliant immediate source of information. So from that point of view, it's really good. Yeah. I mean, it, it just as a very small anecdotal example of that, there was, uh, I live not that far from, Elephant Castle, where the scene of a number of fires recently, and the latest one, I was sort of in my lounge when it happened. I heard this thing that sounded like a kind of clap of thunder, and then these sort of plume of smoke. Um, and it, I wasn't quite sure what was going. Luckily, it was raining at the time, which I think may have helped put it out. But I knew it's like, where am I? How am I going to find out what's going on here? Well, within about eight minutes or something, there was live, yeah. you know, somebody taking live footage and all the rest of it. And you know. Like somebody's put these, this footage up of this fire in Kuwait, this tire fire in Kuwait. Oh, the tire fire, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, apparently that's just, bet it's fake. It's been debunked. And so right. there is a lot of, it's just like somebody fucking around with 3D effects or whatever. Well, that, um, that's the other side of the coin though, isn't it? As much as we both agree that it's an excellent news source, the ver verification is, uh, is well, sometimes, you know. 
I was about to say there's been studies of this by a lady um I, I met her but I've forgotten her name but she's at um King's University and she's done loads of studies into it and um they've discovered that actually for all the fake news the, we filter it out and and so it's actually not that big a spread of it, misinformation as we think it is, mm. as those who would have you believe it is. And I actually think that, for example, if we'd had Twitter or, or, or mobile phones, for example, in 1914, mm. the First World War would have ended really quickly. Yeah. Because there would have been footage uploaded from the trenches. Yeah. Everyone would have gone, what the fuck? And it would have stopped. And so from that point of view, the technology is very empowering for citizens. And I, again, I think that might be the cause of this anger because so much of politicians' bullshit is just instantaneously exposed by social media in a way that it wasn't 30 or 40 years ago. So again, it's very powerful from that point of view. So I do think ultimately it empowers citizens. Um, we seem to have the gremlins a little bit because you've frozen and I don't really know why this time. Um, but I don't know if you, if you could start stop your video, that might help us. But it could okay. be, it could be. Well, your voice is coming over loud and clear, though. Don't worry. Uh, that's perfect. Yes, and you're back in the room. Hopefully, that won't happen too often. Sorry about so, that. So, um, well, it could could well be me. We'll see. Um, well, I'm in Brockley in in southeast London, and the the um, the the, the uh, what do you call it? The the Wi-Fi is just so bad that I've abandoned. We can't get fiber optic broadband it was zone two i know um, don't worry i've had exactly that conversation so i've just got week. a 5g router on my on my roof and 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 so, so it can be a bit in and out uh, okay may not be me this time i've had a very interesting week of the tech uh of the tech variety i have to say um so yeah i mean it, well, i that's interesting what that lady said that you mentioned earlier about us filtering out the fake news i think that's true to some extent and there are some class i mean there are some Kind of fairly bonkers examples of and the easiest one to fake is basically here's some footage of a, a demonstration that, and actually this demonstration was 2017 in whatever but it could be very easily transposed to be you know rent yeah. your own demo it's amazing demo how many here. it's amazing how many like even the bbc does it they just you know they, it's like they go on to getty images or something and type in riot oh there's a picture of the riot put it up and they put that up as the whatever it is whatever the latest riot is anti-vax passports or something and and then somebody else will go no this that photo was taken in 2017 so it's it's also proved a wonderful way of holding news um broadcasters to account and and again has exposed the amount of fake news that there was i mean if you ever read an article by a journalist about a subject that you happen to know a lot about so say for example you mentioned Elephant and Castle. You, I'm, mm. I'm guessing you, I thought you lived in Waterloo, but let's, is it Elephant and no, Castle? No, no, I'm near Elephant, actually. Yeah. Okay, so let's say um, there was an article about, you know, the water, I don't know, what's a... Or well, maybe about the, the Elephant the, the and re, Castle shopping yes, center. Yeah, something yeah, like that. There's something really center. specific, or just yeah. something specific to you or about right-wing comedy or something that you know mm. a lot about. You read the article, and whenever there's an article about something you know a lot about, you read the article and you go, no, that's bullshit, that's bullshit, that's bullshit. <laughs> Every person that has their subject that they know about that reads an article in the Guardian or the Telegraph or whatever it is, just written by a, just a hack writer, you know, it, it, if you sort of compound that, you suddenly realise just there's so much bullshit in the news, and and I actually think social media is is a 
way of getting to the truth. Uh, uh, if, for all the fake news, I think it is ultimately given us greater insight and, and greater truth. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we've had an interesting discussion a few editions sort of back about whether social media is now serving the people or whether it's actually now sort of uh, hampering the people as it were, whatever the people is, of course, that, that's yeah, well, a debate in itself. There yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, now, I've uh, jumped around slightly, actually, because what I meant to do was talk about your, so before we dip into your tweets, which cover a lot of what we've we've just mentioned and a few of the themes we've just mentioned, uh, I wanted to talk about, obviously, Edinburgh's going on, so it's timely to talk about this. You've got uh, a new film out, Adam Smith, Father of the Fringe. Uh, tell us tell us more, what's Adam Smith got to do with the Fringe? Well, um, I don't know if, I don't know how much you know about the, how the Fringe came about, but in, in 2019, the Fringe sold more tickets than any other event in the world that year. And in any given year, it will sell more tickets than any other event in the world, except the Olympic Games. That's the only event that sells more tickets. And they're every four years, the fringe is annual. It's an incredible economic success story. The population of Scotland, of Edinburgh is, I think it's 450, 500,000. Uh, in a year, 4 million people come to Edinburgh. And you go, how did it become so big? And I don't know if you know the story of how it started, but it was 1947 and this guy called Rudolf Bing put on the Edinburgh International Festival and he got a load of subsidy um, to put it on and he was going to heal the wounds of war through the languages of the arts. And he had like the Halle Orchestra and the Vienna Philharmonic and Sadler's Wells Ballet and Glyndebourne Opera and all this really highbrow stuff. And there were like eight like semi-amateur, semi-professional groups there was like a a, a, a a marxist theater group from glasgow that was set up to bring um th drama of relevance to working people yeah, they're still there aren't they <laughs> i don't think they are well okay. there, there'll be similar groups there yeah but they all wanted to come and appear at this inaugural fringe and rudolph bing the organizer said no you're not good enough you know we, we want this highbrow we want the halle orchestra we want sadler's wells and they were like well screw that we're going to come anyway and so they just turned up and they were known as the uninvited eight there were only eight groups puppeteer from malvern and a couple of others and they did incredibly well and the following year you know bing put on his international festival again and the following year there were nine uninvited groups which is a 12 and a half percent increase on the previous year and it just grew like that every year, five, 10, 15% growth. But by the time you compound that, and it's just been an incredible economic success story. Now, why does a performer go to Edinburgh? Well, there are four reasons uh, and they all boil down to one thing, but the four reasons are basically, it, one is they go to get noticed. They wanna be discovered. They wanna be the next flea bag or the next fly to the Concords, whatever it is. One, two, they go to get better, you know, 25 nights, doing a show you just get better third people go to make money you can actually make money in edinburgh and fourth people go to have fun and and it's usually all those four reasons put together or two or three of them but they all all boil down to one thing and that is self-interest they're not going to edinburgh to like feed the homeless or solve climate change or anything like that they're going you know a performer goes with their own self-interest in mind and the great Adam Smith quote that kind of sums up everything Adam Smith said is it is not from the benevolence of the baker, the brewer or the butcher that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own self-interest. 
And Adam Smith's idea was that in acting in our own self-interest, we actually make, we further society as mm. a whole. And this was his great philosophy that people still struggle 200 years later to get their heads around. And I, my big, this started as a show in 2019, my, uh, as a lecture, uh, my, which was, took place in the room that Adam Smith finished Wealth of Nations in. And it was like a history of the fringe through the perspective of Adam Smith. It was a sort of bizarre, I, met, I actually only wrote it the night before. I booked it in and I knew what I wanted to say in my head, but I had to do an all nighter <laughs> the night before to write it. But it just, it's such a powerful story. It just went down really well. And so me and Alex uh, Webster, the director, who's a friend of mine, we said, look, this is last summer now, there's a massive shortage of content on the telly. If we can go and make a really good film, put together a good film, there might be an opportunity to break into the closed shop that's telly. So we went up and we shot this documentary in the year The Fringe was cancelled. And then my manager was going, no, this is really good. You should get an interview with Jimmy Carr. You should get an interview with Al Murray, blah, blah, blah. So I got interviews and then I got I landed an interview with Jimmy and then Jimmy um, had been to Dubai and he had came back, he had to do two weeks in quarantine. So that put the Jimmy interview back and then there was something else that put something. So it constantly got delayed. Yeah. So we, ne we never quite managed to finish it while there was the content shortage. And then like in about by about November, we we had all like meetings with head honchos at the BBC and stuff. But, you know, it was Zoom meetings to nowhere and and emails into the void. Nobody was fucking interested, even with Jimmy Carr and Al Murray and Henning Vane and Arthur Smith and and Shazia. And so Shazia Mirza. So we were like, oh, fuck, we're just going to have to put this on YouTube. But we had loads of archive footage in it and we needed a bit of money to just finish off the post-production, do the grading, get it looking good, the, get the music used, get some original music composed and all of this. And then I was in, um, I just got this weird phone uh, text message. Uh, no, it was an email from a guy and he goes, oh, I've just had a near death experience with COVID. I was 36 hours from death apparently, but I've been watching some of your YouTube videos uh, while I'm in hospital. And I just wanted to write and thank you uh, for all the laughter you brought me while I was so close to death. Um, I really appreciate it. And I'd really like to help you out if I can in some way. And by the way, I'm a video games uh, uh, entrepreneur and I'm worth 150 million pounds. <laughs> so, I, so I said, well, we got this film, but we need a bit of money to get it over the line. And the money was in my account the very next day. Oh, so, so it's a, it's Adam Smith would be proud of that. So that's that's how the film happened, and we've literally just finished it two or three days ago, and um, we've got it up on the website, and we just had our first review an hour ago, very nice review from Bruce Dessau. So, let's hope it does well. Indeed, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, when he said, uh, you know, we're saying about him being close to death, and he'd watched some of your YouTube videos. I was thought, I thought you were going to say, and that pushed him a bit closer. But <laughs> anyway, obviously, oh, okay. ho -ho. yes, toho. ho. Um, but it is an amazing story, and also a lot of hurdles. I'd forgotten about the whole quarantine issue that the various uh, contributors, you know, would have had to sort of jump through uh, in order for this to be made. So it's it's been quite a, a labour of love, in you know. Oh, it's been a huge. I mean, it's been a huge undertaking. And, but, you know, it's it's really good. I mean, it's easily good enough to be on BBC Four or with BBC One or whatever. Everyone who's watched it said how good it is. So, you know, it's only on for the three weeks of the fringe and then we'll see what we can do with it after that. And that's uh, that's my Panmuir House. Well, it's a virtual festival, isn't it? But I think it's Panmuir House. Yeah, you, if you just Google Father of the Fringe, Dominic Frisbee, yeah. 
I've got it on my Twitter. It's on the, the header of my Twitter. By the way, I don't know if you found this is true or not, Julian, but I've been told, and I sort of experienced this, Twitter doesn't work for selling tickets. It's, uh, Facebook and LinkedIn are much better for selling tickets, and Twitter's just sort of... Micro yeah, problem. yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it's, it's. I mean, I think Insta as well is 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 quite important. Uh, regrettably, <laughs> I'm not even on that one. Well, I think I found your handle on Insta. Well, no, it's a fake account. There's a fake oh, Dominic Frisbee account on there. Dude. Giving right. giving people Bitcoin uh, trading advice. And right. Okay. All right. Oh, I forgot about that. I did. There is one all... that's me, and there's another one that's just completely copied me, and I've reported it to Instagram about a million times. Oh, and he yeah. DMs. I, I get these messages from friends of mine going, "Why are you sending me these weird messages on Instagram?" And it's like, "Oh, fucking hell, it's well, not me." Actually, that's a really good point. If you want back end support from people like Twitter and Facebook, then you could just. Forget it. You might as well just whistle in the wind. It yeah, I mean, they're like really good at censoring wrong speak, but they can't fucking stop impersonators. And I think the impersonators ultimately do more damage than wrong speak. Well, yeah, exactly. So let's um, let us uh, you mentioned now we have but essentially we've carried over the tweets that you chose for last Sunday to this Sunday. But there's obviously flexibility around that. And just a minute ago, you mentioned that the, you tweeted something this week about um, a film. Now, is that? Was that another, is that another film? Is there another film in the mix? Yeah, I'm trying to make a film of Daylight Robbery, the uh, the thing about tax. Ah, and okay. there's a, a, a cryptocurrency called Decred, which is like a really cool cryptocurrency. It's got a whole community around it. And it's what's known as a DAO, a digital autonomous, sorry, a decentralized autonomous organization. Okay. Now, and I'm the idea of DAOs are going to change yeah. the world. Okay, carry on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just trying to DAOs are going to... Okay. Because sorry, said there I've was been a tweet retweeting on it. all loads of videos. Uh, that's okay. How far back is it? It should be. It's a bit further. Uh, it should be. Should be somewhere around about. Oh, hang on. That's just mentioned there you DAO. Go. Oh, there. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Ca ca tell us about DAOs. I need to be educated. So, if you think that the idea of Bitcoin mm. uh, is that it's a decentralized currency, if you wanted to, you know, close down the pound, you could close down the. You could bomb the Bank of England and and you know, closed down. I mean, you couldn't really close down the pound, but there there have been previous attempts at non-state money and they've all been closed down because they had what's called a central point of failure. They had an office or something that they could close down, a central organization. The idea of Bitcoin is it's decentralized. No one person's in charge. It's run by a network of different computers all over the world, and therefore it cannot be shut down. You can make Bitcoin illegal in one country or another, but you can't close down Bitcoin. And this power of decentralized technology, distributed technology is incredibly powerful. And people don't realize how it's going to change the world. And the next step from Bitcoin decentralized currency is decentralized autonomous organizations. And so in, instead of being a company with an HQ somewhere, and you can close down that company or attack that company or do whatever. These organizations have no HQ. They're on the internet. They're borderless, mm. you know, and one of these new organizations is a thing called Decred, which is another, it's a decentralized autonomous organization built around this currency called Decred. And the technology is really good and they've got all sorts of interesting widgets and, and, you know, a lot of the techno geeks, say how good decred is and i'm i'm one of those I, I think it's brilliant um but because of the system 
they have built up a treasury of decred that they want to invest in projects that will help move the decred uh, project forward. And so that might be, you know, infomercials or going to talk about decred at a conference or whatever it is, stuff to do with technology. And they, the, the, the decred community, so anyone who owns decred, then votes on whether this proposal should be given the money to go ahead. Mm. So I approached decred and I said to them, I want to make this film about tax. Uh, and, you know, governance is a huge part of decred and the governance is everything to do with tax. It, the people who like my film will be interested in decred. Will decred give me the money I need to make this film? And, you know, the decred watermark will be on the film. It'll be, you know, it would be, be a bit like, you know, Carlsberg bringing you the Champions League final or some something like that. Mm -hmm. But also decred would be Disney or HBO as well as being the, you know, they'd be the broadcaster as well as the sponsor. So I said I'd help raise, because Decred's problem is they, they, it has no awareness. So I said I'll, I'll help raise awareness of Decred with this film if you give me the money to make the film. So there was a big um, debate about whether they should do it or not. And there was all sorts of arguing over social media that went on for about a month, which was as vitriolic as an attack as I've ever had on social media, Oof. by the way. And then... Sorry, we've got we've got double and double here. Right, something interesting going. You're you frozen, and I think I may have lost somehow lost the stream. I'm not quite sure how. Hang on, and I think you're back in the room. Yeah, great. We've never we quite experienced this before. So um, yeah, okay. The short so, of it was we yeah. had the vote, and did Decred want to give me the money? And it was an overwhelming no. <laughs> but the uh, unfortunately. Um, I think it would have been a good project for me and it would have been a good project for them, but they, they voted no. And, and so tough titty. So that was what that was all about. So what, I mean, the thing is, there's obviously, there are a number of us that haven't really got a Scooby-Doo, which is probably the name of a bit uh, of a, an alternative currency about sort of Bitcoin and, and, and the ascendant. I mean, what I do read is there's an awful lot of other kind of alternatives and what have you, oh, thousands. Um, you know, and, and that's, what's the deal with, um, the potential for, you know, is it in the ascendant, is it's time, essentially what I'm trying to say is, is it's time coming? It's, yeah, I'll say. It's the future. Um, the, the 100%, the, 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 it's a borderless system of money for the mm. borderless medium that is the internet. And, you know, more and more people are becoming borderless. The, the digital nomad is the fastest growing workforce in the world. Even COVID, bizarrely has accelerated it because it's normalized remote working and people are going do you know what i don't want to be in england anymore with this that and the other i'm going to mexico or i'm going to lisbon or i'm going to malta or wherever you can go yeah and 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 it's particularly a young thing work on the internet they they don't need to be in a country anymore and as as there's more and more cross-border work going on which the internet facilitates yeah. it does not make sense to go through all the hurdles and hoops and costs that you have to go through you know with forex and everything else and and with bitcoin or whatever cryptocurrency you want to use you get instantaneous money transfers as quick as you send an email uh, at a fraction of the cost and it's direct me to you no banking no middlemen no nothing and so um yeah i mean it's the future 100 percent. and then what's what what do you answer what's the sort of uh 
game plan in terms of how it affects the state and how, you know, what, what's the sort of... Uh, beyond the nation this, state is doomed, Julian. <laughs> the nation state is bankrupt. The nation state, we tend to think of as nation states being normal. They're not. They're only, they've only been around for two or 300 years and they were built after the Industrial Revolution with tax systems designed around the physical movement of goods and services and physical labour that was in one place. And, you know, the world has moved on. You know, if you just look at how the nation state has struggled to tax globalised corporations, they can't. The tax models have been unable to keep up. And they're talking about these, you know, alliances with G7 and all that. It just won't work. And you know meanwhile the nation states are all printing money and debasing their money like mad to 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 print and cover their spending the tax revenue doesn't um match their costs they're in shed loads of debt and you know they're bankrupt and everything but name and of course and, and some nation states are going to go bankrupt and and you know we will see new much smaller city states arise and um those countries that um, adapt best to the realities of the new economic environment around us will be those that thrive and those that insist on huge unsustainable welfare spending will be the ones that die. Well pretty pretty clear um, so we've got again you've frozen again I don't know what it is and I'm going to apologize to the viewers we have I have had a sort of thorough health check of uh, of the uh, it'll be my fault well it could be but I'm a bit it has it has happened before so I apologize to the viewers but we have We've done a few full tech check here, but I will go through it again. Uh, we're probably going to take a couple of weeks off in August anyway, so I've got time to, to write that out. Um, but no, thanks for being clear on that. It sort of demystifies it slightly. And there's some, there's obviously, there's a couple of ways we can go from that because actually people's relationship to the state has been a big deal because of COVID. And um, there's a couple of tweets on that and I certainly want to get to, to one of them. But on the tweets that you chose uh, a week ago that we're picking up this week, there was... I'm pretty sure there was another. Oh, hang on, let me not go back to our account. Um, Most of my tweets are just links to articles I've written or they're promoting something. I don't think I'm actually very good on Twitter. There are people who are much better than me. It is addictive, though. You can just waste your whole day on it. I know, absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt about it, actually. Um, but you definitely had... Ah, uh, yeah, the, here it is here. It was the, it was the City AM article. Uh, yeah, so what's going on here with Bitcoin and Amazon? Well, Amazon... Uh... <laughs> Amazon put out an advert that they were hiring a, uh, I can't even remember now, but it was, a, it, it, they were hiring some kind of specialist in crypto uh, currency coding to help them build a payments architecture uh, so that they could set, accept Bitcoin and various other coins. And so some journalist like got noticed it and got straight onto the point and said, well, if they're hiring a guy to do this, then it's, it's a short step to Amazon accepting Bitcoin as payment and various other cryptocurrencies. So they wrote that article. Amazon then denied it afterwards. But um, I mean, it's inevitable that, that Amazon will start accepting cryptocurrencies payments where it can legally do so. Yeah. And just for our uh, listeners, because this will be a podcast as, as well, as on YouTube, um, it's a City AM article, Amazon definitely lining up Bitcoin payments and token, confirms Insider. And then you've quote tweeted, a bullish development, I'd say. Amazon Amazon definitely linking up uh, Bitcoin payments and token. Uh, well, the it's, that's, an that's an example of fake news and, and clickbait <laughs> because the title says Amazon definitely blah, blah, blah. But it's actually the person who works for Amazon saying Amazon are definitely doing it. It wasn't Amazon saying Amazon are definitely doing it. If that makes sense. But that's, that's and Amazon aren't definitely. 
Well, it's yeah, a story exactly. fairly, fairly close to the horse's mouth, which is usually is better than some stories, actually. Yeah, um, but, but the yeah, more sure. the more big companies that 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 start using cryptocurrency, the more good it is for the more bullish it is for cryptocurrency. The thing to remember, Julian, is that money has always been related to technology, and so yeah. you know we started using coins only after people found ways to, to, to stamp coins, which would certify the amount of precious metal in a coin and the, the stamp of the issuer guaranteed the purity. Then with the invention of the printing press, we started using paper money. Then with the invention of, of um, telegrams and, and uh, uh, cables and, and cross channel communications, because money is a form of communication as well. Um, we could start sending money across the Atlantic by, by um, telex or whatever they, whatever they, it was telegraph. And, um, and then with digital technology in the 70s and 80s, money became digital. Only about we stopped using checks. Paper money's on its way out. Only about two or three percent of money is now um, actual cash. 97, 98 percent is digital. And crypto is just the latest evolution, really. Okay. It, so it's 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 technology is destiny. So I'll, I'll, look, the relationship with the state is uh, it's where you you phrase it again. So I'm sorry about this. Oh. quite sure what that's i know it's a bit laborious <laughs> for you to have to do i'm sorry about that um well yeah i mean i'm flicking through the website uh, web pages here as well just to sort of check how the broadband's doing and it seems to be okay uh but we've had an interesting ride now let's pick up you see look what, one of the things that it does sort of fascinate me is the 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 relationship between people and the state and obviously COVID has massively tested that, not just in the UK, uh, loads of other countries as well. Um, and it's been a it's been a time where people's uh, political identities have probably either been forged if they're of a certain age, or they've been sharpened in terms of what they already were uh, were anyway. Uh, one of the tweets that you've picked out, uh, Jameson Lop, uh, Cypherpunk, co-founder and CTO Cypherpunk. of Cypherpunk. Uh, of Casa. Oh, it's a right. So there is a there is a Bitcoin link. I see. There is oh, a, yeah, he's a Bitcoin. He's a Bitcoiner. Okay. Uh, so it's just a it, it, it's just the kind of um, graph. The, the the black line goes cases, hospitalizations, death, which goes goes in this kind of. I don't know what you call that in the graph speak when it does that sort of peak. It's just essentially a peak. An L. The graph goes up and down. An L. L. Oh, the bell, bell, and then totalitarianism basically just. Uh, you know, exponentially right. Well, not it seems to have been plat plateauing out. So if you really wanted to be negative, it would just be exponentially rising. But it seems to be plateauing out. So who knows? I mean, look, I look. It, it's nice to have you in the room because I know that if if all the people that I would want to explain to me the antipathy towards the state would probably be you rather than others that I could mention. Although there are some other people who say some interesting things that I. I sort of have time for and, and so on and so forth. But I've been getting increasingly sort of uh, peaked by the sort of um, the, the brave heart sort of uh, overtones of freedom. I mean, just put them all in Leicester, Leicester Trafalgar Square rather to shout freedom at each other as loud as they possibly can. And the catastrophe, and I, you don't do this, but the catastrophizing uh, on Twitter, which I know, you know, we talked about social media and it brings it out of people, but the catastrophizing language, it has literally just been, you know, classic lectern stuff. It's been so um, uh, sort of pessimistic. It's, you know, it's, it's pushed Orwellian, Orwellian beyond the barriers of Orwellian, I think. 
it's just gone a little bit bonkers, really, I think. Um, but, you know, if you if you are of the view to be afraid, very afraid, that's OK. And I want you to kind of explain why. But obviously, you have to sort of bear in mind that when people like me are watching uh, the latest gathering in Trafalgar Square and all the rest of it and have to sort of, uh, you know, listen to people banging on about uh, the Nuremberg trials, etc. It, it doesn't, it, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't play well to the moderates. Well, that's whenever you get a demonstration, it doesn't matter if it's Occupy London or mm. Extinction Rebellion or, or whoever it is, when you get those movements, you're always going to get, um, you know, oddballs and cranky people at, at the extreme and their ideological opponents will always select them and make out that those oddballs are speaking on behalf of everyone else who's there. So that's just misrepresentation and straw manning and so on. But, but that, goes that, on person on both sides. On that person was on... Oh, you're talking about David Icke speaking. No, right no, there. I mean, gosh, David Icke's a real like precursor to all this, I think. But um, no, he I'll... was on the thing a couple of weeks ago. He spoke on the, uh, on the. He was on the podium talking about it's something. The, or it's other. the former nurse that was, uh, you know, banging on. Oh yeah, I, I, I didn't see what she said, but I heard about her. Yeah, but again, I just saw loads of people who who were. Um, again, I I wasn't at the march, so I don't know. This is just people wittering on on Twitter that I was following but the 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 sense and again this my little bubble but the, the sense that I got was that she didn't speak for everyone there and they were quite pissed off that she'd been given the platform but now that she was given the platform her ideological opponents will, 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 uh, will use her as a smearing device but I mean one of the one of the other problems is that it's you know when you look around and you've got the likes of sort of Piers Corbyn and, and Wright said Fred and all the rest of it it's very easily it's it's quite easy to sort of take the piss and let's face it people as comedians other people as comedians would not be doing their job if they didn't take the piss but uh, well we'll you know. see we'll see what happens but I mean Piers Corbyn is yeah the the but can you not see how freedoms have been lost this year yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the can, things that... Never mind whether right, hmm. they've been rightly or wrongly lost. Never mind hmm. the, the justification. You know, we are considerably less free than we were. We can't go to places. We can't We can't move around. You know, the vaccine passports are now going to be a thing. I don't you know. know. It's See, been dramatic. Sh- well, I mean, I'm not sure... Well, you are. Be- My kids are, t- are all, you know, uh, all busy getting... They've all had COVID. Hmm. They're resistant to it. They've had... And, and you know, they're, to- they're not um, going to get ill from it. In any way, they're all having the vaccine just so they go to nightclubs. Well, I mean, you know, I, so yeah, of it is a thing. And the idea that yeah. you have to have a vaccine yeah. that is a dramatic loss of freedom. And you know, on the whole, it seems that that vaccine is okay. But there are people who've died from it, and it is still experimental. So to force everyone to have some kind of experimental medical technology that hasn't been properly well, it's only, it's is, only you see. I don't want to end up having the same sort of things that I've been listening to on. on no, no, no. On Ger- I'm not. Jeremy I'm Biden not saying I agree with those arguments, Julian. Yeah. I'm just saying those are all ways in which our freedoms have been eroded. So people who are concerned about that, their concerns are quite real, and quite legitimate. You may not agree with them. But there has been a dramatic loss of freedom. And we do have this new kind of um, rulership where it's rulership by health and safety or this sort of medic, as some people call it, the medical dictatorship. And it's like a whole, you know, when the government provides something, as in state healthcare or public healthcare, that thing becomes the means of rule. And, and it's, you know, it's been noticed by left and right, the NHS 
has replaced the Church of England as the national religion. And you either worship at the altar of the NHS or you don't. Um, but but and there are plenty of people who don't, and there are plenty of people who do. And I sort of I, I I'm one of those who don't, but I can sympathise and understand with those who do because I think their intentions on the whole are, are well placed, even if the realisation of those intentions is 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 misguided. But the NHS, you know, the church used to be the main provider of care. So there's obviously some human psychological thing where we feel this need to worship at whatever provides us with with care. And 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 that's why the NHS is sort of the new church. And by the way, it's Polly Toynbee calls it the national religion and Nigel Lawson called it the national religion who are, you know, left mm. and right. As well, I don't know what context, I mean, I'm not sure that the context, what context they were saying it in but i mean yeah i mean look there's a, the nhs in terms of being a political football we all know that that that's no, i'm not talking about history. a football i'm talking about a religion yeah it's i know a belief okay. system. But, it, but it's it's a statism is a belief that's, system. Because, that's because people put their health before other concerns by by and large that's not necessarily i mean there's been this huge there's obviously been this to and fro and the balancing act between the economy and between health has been very difficult to to strike and it's just the fact that you know they've put the they put the emphasis you know we have had lockdowns we've had restrictions and uh, of our freedom i mean right at this point right now those restrictions are nowhere near as obviously as as you know as dramatic as they were i mean yes if you look at australia they've had quite a turnover of, australia's of insane Yes, well it's a different yeah i you mean know, it they seems get, like a very they, different they're beating situation. up kids and stuff because they're going out without masks like whoa what i i right i haven't heard well i mean i was worried i mean that was the the, the fever the the atmosphere certainly when the mask issue you can't travel of, you can't move around i mean I, well i was lots of freedom I mean, it's really well, really got, it's, it's quite serious because if 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 the if the virus doesn't go away then mm, that loss of freedom well. is permanent and that is very significant julian well, it's, it depends how. Okay, that's you can really, say it's that, right because of the virus and blah blah blah, or you can say no, it's a loss of freedom. You can you, both arguments can be made. None of that changes that freedom has gone, and so people crying out for it. Are, there's quite a legitimate reason to cry out for it. But they've been look. The attitudes to wearing masks at the start were um, were quite childish, really, and that was right at the beginning in terms of oh you know i don't want to wear it and all the rest of it and it, this, there's been an awful lot of that this tends to sort of undermine anything i mean look if you're getting i've not i didn't know about that situation in australia but i was very worried about something similar in the uk by and large people have just left it to um you know their own personal choice in terms of where they wear masks and when i go on public transport whether that's overground and underground the majority are still wearing masks i mean in london obviously that's different there are different regulations and they have been uh, the mayor's obviously underlined those in a way that hasn't, you know, hasn't necessarily been done throughout the rest of the UK. I think I think outside of London, people are much more respectful of Mark's mask use than they are in London. I think it's been incredible. I think it's actually been pretty good in London, actually. I'm really surprised. Well, maybe. But I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't it's I would say I, I don't know, Julian, but I would say mask use on the tube is only at about 60 percent at the moment, a bit more than half. Mm. Well, that's, I mean, even if that were the case, even sort of 65 cents, probably more than I thought uh, than it would be. I mean, look, one of the other things that's going on, of course, at the moment as well is that is the crime and policing bill. So, I mean, that's kind of not come at a great, a very good time in the mix of all of this. So you can certainly we can certainly have a debate about 
the authoritarian sort of um, direction of this government. There's no doubt about that. Oh, my God. Y you know, we have seen the most almighty power grab over the last 80, uh, 18 months. This country is significantly more authoritarian than it was 18 months ago. And, you know, one of the great lessons of this book, Daylight Robbery, is that um, with every crisis, and I regard taxation as a form of, taxation is power. Tax, you rule, you, you know, if a government loses its tax revenue, it loses its power, or a king or an emperor, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. it, and it's a means of control. You know, you design a society by the way you tax it. And the evidence of history is that with every single crisis, um, you know, World War One, World War Two, whatever it is, government power increases, taxes increase um, in a way that they couldn't without that emergency. And um, we saw it 2008, the financial crisis. Suddenly we got quantitative easing and printing money and zero interest rates in a normal environment. No government could have ever got that past the electorate. Oh, yeah. no, but there's a financial crisis. We need to print money. And then suddenly, you know, 12 years later, the government's printing one and a half billion pounds every day. You know, it's just quantitative easing has become normal. And yet it's it's printing money. And so the, the evidence of every crisis is that government control increases during the crisis. And then after the crisis has passed, it never goes back to the level it was at before the crisis began. And so you, we will see the same with COVID. You know, it, the, all the ways by which the tentacles of the state have, have, mm. have reached out over the course of the last year. What we had in 2019, we will never see again. Well, I mean, as I say before, you know, this whole thing is, is people have, have obviously had to question their relationship with the state and what they actually want the state to do. And I would argue that if you're going to go into politics and you want to actually change anything, then you might as well be elected to government to a government that actually has the power to change things. But, um, you know, you can have you can have an argument about the, the crime policing bill. You can talk about authoritarianism in, in, in the, you know, if you can go in various different directions on that. But um there is a there is a discussion there and one of the things that occurred to me unfortunately or fortunately depending on on what you think is that the climate crisis surely suggests that we will have more um well more restrictions of some kind of course 100 percent. yeah um and you know who causes the biggest damage to the to the environment the government well, and, not, and it's well, like they're so fucking hypocritical about the whole thing. You know, the government is the biggest creator of waste and, and they're the single most damaging entity. And they're the one thing that doesn't shrink. Yeah, but they are. But it's their efforts to actually rain back on that that are going to be, you know, no, very not, unpopular. If you take this green energy revolution that they're trying to get everyone carbon neutral by the amount of fossil fuel that is going to need to be burnt in order to realise the green energy revolution. You, 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 you reach the point, you, you know, in all the metals that need to be mined and so on. And, and, you know, you reach the, you know, what's more environmentally friendly, keeping the old banger or buying some brand new sparkling Tesla that's got a gazillion different exotic metals in it. It's way more environment friendly to keep the old banger. But you follow the government green energy revolution, everyone's going to be buying brand spanking new Teslas. And that demands a huge cost to the environment to actually realise. And it, it's it. Are you so just are you I, just saw Elon Musk for reneging on Bitcoin or? <laughs> no, I'm not. It's got. I'm, I'm using. But we Tesla can't buy Tesla. No, they're not accessible, though, are they? 
Well, Tesla, you know, Tesla survives on government subsidy. If it didn't get have, if without government subsidy, Tesla would not be a legitimate business. It's, I mean, it's, it's crony capitalism, pure and simple, Tesla. The idea that he's this great, great um, risk-taking entrepreneur. No, he's just feeding, he's just sucking on the tea to the state. Well, I mean, but I don't think, but I was just picking up on the, you know, the Teslas aren't, it's not like they're hugely accessible uh, cars, though, uh, at this stage. Well, they? because they're you so know? expensive, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're still... I know. I'm, I'm not saying everyone's going to be buying a Tesla, but the, they, they've, they, the, 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 the point I'm making is that is that those subsidies that this planned green energy revolution, you know, we all we have to have these new boilers by 2030 or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all the metal that's involved in make everyone getting everyone on these new boilers, the cost to houses, many of whom really cannot afford it, and it's all cost of government and it ultimately is not as environmentally friendly as they would have you believe and so it's hypocritical but the and, i mean the, the the margins that they're playing yeah they will use it you know who's the government to tell you what kind of boiler you can use in your house like at what point like surely that is a, a choice that informed individuals and citizens can make by themselves why do they need why do we need state mandated boilers well i mean because if i mean that, that's a great question because just in the same way that gas cookers will be a thing of the past as well at, at some point which i you know i don't particularly want because i'd much prefer a gas cooker than a, an electric one but that will and again that will the, the, the ultimate source of electricity is still 80 percent, 70 80 percent burning of fossil fuels yeah so just because you don't see the pollution you know in front of your face in that moment the pollution is still happening just somewhere else but I mean, what's the what? You know, that's one of the big problems is how we get away from the you know the fossil fuel reliance. And I, you know, I don't know what the I don't know what the stats. I remember Robert Winston. This is some years ago. Wrote a book. I wish I was well, written many books, but there was one particular book where he literally looks at all of the sort of important scenarios facing us, and uh, and one of them was alternative energy. And he kind of sort of deep not quite debunked but he basically pointed out the flaws in in all the sort of alternative energy sources probably less so nuclear than anything else but yeah it wasn't the happy read let's put it like that no it's not and it's it's i mean all these companies uh, you know so many people that are feeding on the teat of alternative energy you, you know and they get the subsidy for this wind farm or their grant for that thing or the other the whole thing has just been corrupted by rent seeking it, it's really and 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 you know people trying to get the stuck on the teat of government basically it really you know but in any case the your initial point that the you know once the covid crisis has passed the next one's going to be the climate crisis and that will just mean another excuse for more state reach right and, and, and i think that's and so that's yeah, why those true. um concerns that people have you know they might not articulate them as well as you know, some, mm. you know, top-notch television presenter does not mean that their concerns are not valid. I think I agree that there will be more, there are more restrictions on the way, so uh, brace yourself, folks. What's really interesting is that uh, throughout the course of that, as we turn the temperature up, uh, your your internet didn't break once, so I think you might be generating your own energy there. <laughs> <laughs> I think we found a new source, guys. There you Come go. On. Um, actually, that and I knew that tweet would be a. There was no way I wasn't going to choose that tweet. I knew it would be a doozy, and it's led us off into various uh, different directions. 
Uh, actually, it sort of brings us to the end end of the show. So um, do you want to just say uh, a bit more? Just want to remind everyone about the film. Yeah, my big thing that I'm flogging is this film about the history of the Edinburgh Festival. Adam Fringe, father of the... Fr Adam Smith, father of the Fringe. Um, if you look on my Twitter thing, you can, yeah, you can, it, it's yeah. linked to there, but you can watch it on Pam, your house. I promise you, uh, if nothing else, just to learn about Adam Smith and, uh, his philosophies will justify the, uh, 10 pounds that the film costs, but I promise you 10 pounds worth of entertainment. Excellent stuff. Um, so where can we see you next live as well? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I've got some gigs booked in, but I think King's Head maybe next couple of weeks at the King's Head, oh, downstairs yeah. at the King's Head in North London. Yeah, oh, well, always worth checking out their bills anyway. They're obviously, mm. they're, they're great. Great stuff. Well, um, all that remains for me to say is thank you very much for watching. It's been slightly bumpy journeys, certainly better than having no show, which we had last week. Um, and so it's great to get through that. And just to say we might be taking i haven't quite decided whether we're taking a two-week break in august or a, a one-week break it all depends i may have a guest uh, for you on the 15th i certainly won't on the 22nd um but we will definitely be uh, back on the 29th just watch this space uh, i'll be doing clips from this show as well as soon as i possibly can and also flagging up some of the previous shows uh, we do hope that we're going to go live at some point. We're going to have live Let's Kill Twitter events, which will hopefully happen before the end of this year. Let, let's see. Well, thanks very much for watching. Uh, I'll just sort of uh, draw your attention to the ticker above my head, which has the, uh, the Twitter handles for the show and for Dominic. And also, if you want to contribute to the show, there is a link to uh, Buy Me A Coffee, uh, where we've set up a little page there. And um, I think that's it for now, really. Uh, just to say, just thanks from, from both of us, really, Dominic, and just wave goodbye to our streamers. Thank you very much for watching. Thanks, folks. Hope I haven't alienated you with my unacceptable views. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed listening to the show. Please do check out the other podcasts in the series. If you go to our website, www.letskilltwitter.com, you'll find all our previous shows listed and you can find links to the YouTube versions as well as audio files. If you'd like to support our work, you can do via buymeacoffee.com. If you go to their website, you'll find a Let's Kill Twitter page set up for donations. But anything you can do is much appreciated. A like, a follow, a recommendation to a friend, it all counts. Once again, thanks for listening. We hope to be in your ears again very soon.